Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways to address them when you're short of time. And I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is defining change support. Preparation activities are key enablers of change readiness and adoption. The options are many, including training, coaching, ways of working sessions, job aids, and simulations. The types and amount of support need to be appropriate for people's needs and circumstances. It's a fine balance between too much and too little change assistance. If you provide too much, people get stressed and may choose to opt out of activities. If you provide too little, people won't have the required mindsets, routines, and behaviors to effectively adopt the change. So how do you define what change support you need to prepare people for a particular change? And my guest today is Stephen Soto. Stephen, welcome to the show. Bill, how are you? Long time (laughs) no see. It's so great to see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Stephen has over 25 years of global packaged goods and retail experience, including CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond Mexico. He is currently CFO of Vera, a seller in marketplaces, including Amazon. Stephen holds a bachelor degree of accounting and finance from the University of Toronto and is a certified management accountant. So Stephen, you've been eating many changes around the world from mergers and acquisitions to culture drives. What's been your experience with finding out how much change resource is required to enable a change. So Phil, two things to ground us. The two changes that I, I was thinking about, you know, in preparing for this podcast, one is the one that you and I worked on, which is a merger of two big companies. So that's a big one. And then you're, you're key in that project. And the other one is as CFO, we always try to make finance as business partners. So that's more like a way of change, a way of working psychologically, our behavior as finance people. So those are kind of like the two things. As far as support, Phil, it's so important to have the support defined way in the beginning of the whole process, right? Specifically support from the different stakeholders. And for example, for our example of the craft Cadbury time, it's really getting the support of all the management is my experience. And actually you are a part of that management. You facilitated it, but getting that support early enough and that conversation early enough is absolutely key, no matter how detailed it is. I remember time was taken to get the alignment up front. When you don't, it's a lot harder. Why is that the case? Like if you just rush into the merger, what happens then? Sure. So my learning there is it's actually not the actual content or the actual content of alignment, but it's actually the process of getting alignment that was the key. So in our example, I was here in Mexico for that merger, and it's actually talking to the Mexican management team, right? Plus the one in UK, plus the one in North America. And we actually had our first meetings and getting to know each other in order to get to that alignment. Now, the alignment was the easy part. The hard part was actually, oh, knowing each other at the time. So that's number one. And number two, you can assume what people want from a merger, but you don't really know it until you have that meeting. People uh, discovered at that time in Mexico, Kraft and Cadbury were fierce competitors. I mean, this is like getting Muhammad Ali and Fraser, you know, and suddenly together and hug each other. 
it's it's almost impossible. So that was the key to have that first conversation. That is very true. And, and I remember that time going around to the different regional management teams. And it was interesting. You'd already met with your counterparts from the two different sides. And the central team that I was part of, like, hey, why don't you get together with your counterpart? And you already were. You were sitting beside each other. So you did have Muhammad Ali and, and Fraser yeah. together. So you'd already done that work. And what happens when, when you don't do that? Because I think speed is such a, a driver of behavior. It's almost you're speeding to be fully integrated. So you might cut some steps and go forward and say, no, no, we'll figure it out later. And, and then you don't get the right resource. Have you ever experienced that? At the end of the full project was very successful, right? But within the project, inside of it, there are some hiccups. And right. so in that example, yes, sometimes you do a shortcut and people are not buying in. And to be specific, Phil, I mean, with all these kind of changes from an employee perspective, the biggest challenge is speculation of what's going to happen, right? Hey, I'm going to lose my job as an example. Oh, but yeah, by the way, oh, they're just saying that, but no, really they're going to do this. So the, the whole speculation piece. And then on the other side, on the stakeholder side, not having that conversation, oh, they think this is going this way when it's actually going that way. So if you skip some steps, that's the danger. It actually takes longer if you have the original plan implemented in the first place. It actually will take longer to backtrack and fix it. And it's not only like, for example, in this merger, I'll give you the other example of finance people to be more like business partners. And I did it in two companies. And with the first company, it has full management stakeholders buy-in. But the difference on the first company, it was super detailed. And then the second company helped buy in, but we never got into the detail enough. The benefit of finance being a business partner was a lot more effective and was done a lot earlier on the first company. The only difference between the two is actually having a consistent, literally weekly meeting with management on what is the progress. That's the only difference. Oh, certainly. It's such an interesting mindset shift or cultural shift for finance people to move from the accuracy and the monitoring and risk mitigation and all those great things that the finance function performs and audit, making yes. sure that we're ethical and, and we're in line with expectations. And right. then to say, well, oh no, now we're going to change. Now we're going to be business partners. We're going to be coaches. We're going to be people that aren't pointing out gaps. We're going to be enablers of a broader Correct. mandate. And it's a massive change. And we discount that and say, no, 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 we're just going to be different. It doesn't work well. And we don't provide the change support. Could you share what support you provided? Before I get to the actual support, one of the controversial comment I say to my finance team is, hey, by the way, guys, we're not in the business of finance. We're just in the finance department. We're in the business of selling this or whatever, right? And normally you get reactions for like two or three days because it's kind of like, oh my God, I studied all the way to become a chartered whatever. And the reason why I mentioned that one first is the challenge behaviorally is we are, we being finance is less effective on influencing because, you know, we say, hey, this is an audit requirement. Oh, this is a month end requirement. So there's not a lot of influencing. I think the hardest part are sales role saying, hey, please buy this cup. You don't need the cup, but you got to buy the cup. So from a support perspective, Phil, and that first example is, number one, there was a consultant. It's actually interesting. The consultant, uh, one was from Chicago and the other one is from Scotland. And the three of us got together and we actually formed the program. 
the next question is, oh, do you find uh, advantageous, no, beneficial to have a consultant? And I would say to all your listeners, absolutely, absolutely, right? Because consultant brings something that you don't know about, right? And then you work together and you create a better product. So number one, we have the material and we actually spend time actually identify how could we make this one fun. So imagine the topic, finance to business partnering, a bunch of very serious finance, accounting, audit people, and how do we make it fun? We actually rented a, a place here in, in Mexico City, beautiful place. We had a, a fun event uh, that it's absolutely memorable. So until today, I meet with my colleagues, they remember that. And then they connected a business partner. How was that transition from hey, I am in the business of finance too. No, you're here to influence. You're here to make other teams' activities yeah. more effective through the, the finance lens. How, how did that transition work? So basically what we did was we make all finance people to be CFOs of their partners. And so that changed immediately. What happened to the finance colleagues is, hey, the financial piece is the easy part, right? I put an Excel together, I plus and minus, blah, blah, blah. But I spend more time to be in the business. In this particular case, marketing. Actually, one of the finance team members was very involved in the idea of the campaign of a particular product. So you really get involved and you become like the CFO of that product category. So it went really well. The financial result is actually more of a consequence. And the conversation it becomes earlier on, hey, what business decision we have to make. It's actually a finance person who came up with a, a Mother's Day campaign for this alcohol brand, which is amazing. It went viral, so it's great. Isn't it fascinating? Did yes. you find that anybody struggled through it? So in, in providing sort of that training at that excellent facility and creating the mindset that you're a CFO, did some people struggle to change their orientation of how they add value? Sure. This goes back to the point of the support. In this particular case, if management is in support, of what finance is trying to do. It goes to the management team meeting. The VP of marketing knows about it, talks to his team all about it. So when the idea came up, it's not like, oh, this guy is from finance, that people actually would listen to it. So that's one piece from the customer side, let me call it your partner side. On the finance side, it's always that first part of getting comfortable of making that change. Imagine like you go to school, you do this and then et cetera. One day people say, hey, by the way, we want your business opinion. Now, the key there, the person always had the business opinion. The only thing is they don't want to say it because they have to be in their persona of, hey, I'm finance. At that time, part of the change management, I actually would say, hey, by the way, his name is Carlos. Hey, Carlos, between 9 and 11 a.m., just be a non-finance. And he would practice. Right. And then by the following week, he would do more hours. And then later on, he's more comfortable. Carlos is in UK now. I mean, he's doing very well. He's leading a business unit because it's just feel like just trying to get that feeling of, hey, you know what? I can change. What a great story. And with the support that you provided, the weekly updates and progress reports, could you share with the listeners just what you did there? Check-ins are so important with providing support yeah. for the change. How did that work? Yeah. So we had every two weeks, we call it the one-on-one. -on -one. In the one-on-one -on -one session, we always have the piece on the tasks for the next two weeks, you know, whatever, P&L, et cetera. And then we always have a portion of, hey, how about this business partnering? Uh, so we actually make the space. No idea is a bad idea. 
No comment right. is a bad comment. They, you you got to make the people feel good about that one. So it could be as simple as, hey, Stephen, should I go to this event or not? That kind of thing. And then we would talk about it. And then, hey, yes, go to the event. But the key, the objective is to make, in this example, Carlos feel very comfortable. When looking at selecting the right support for people to go from where they are now to where they go in the future, have you ever had an experience where there just weren't the resources that you need? You might have assessed, hey, this is what we're going to do training. We're going to do this and whatever and blue skying it. And hey, this sounds like really good. And then you look at the resources available and they're just not there. Have you ever had that experience? So it's actually the same example on the first company, second company. So on the second company, I don't have the consultant resource. And so you have to make up one, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) In this particular case is I personally pretended I am the consultant. I created the program, you know, but the reality is in this example, I only achieve halfway, right? So it's not as bad as zero, you know, to answer your question, like no resource, but it's not as low as zero, but I can go halfway. So I can at least have part benefit of having a consultant without having a consultant. But my point is, you got to be creative to come up with another solution, you know, with the same objective. But to all the listeners is, if you can get the resource, get it. And for the decision makers of change, believe me, having the resource, it's a lot less expensive than the team is spending time to pretend. Just like my second example. Isn't it true? It it seems like a cost saving. Often it's a cost increase because you're doing it twice or going more slowly. And agree. Agree. And and is there anything uh, talking about consultants? Is is there anything they shouldn't do because they can play a really important role? But sometimes they can play the wrong role in change support. Can you think of any examples of that, or just advice of whatever you do? This isn't the consultant's job, so don't put them in that or don't let them take it for themselves. Yeah, so in this case, I was very fortunate, right? The consultants are really good. But the one thing I noticed when they do really well, they are really good listeners. And so what happened was the actual program is actually uh, very customized to what we need. I think the danger of consultants could be, again, because I did not have this experience particularly, is if they keep pushing their point that they forget to listen and then they just say, Oh, just do this, just do that. And then, you know, as a client, you probably just do it. And then it's not the same result. It's a lot about customizing, especially with the changes that we are all trying to do. It is customized. Absolutely. And as you say, the consultant that takes over and just says, no, 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 here's the five steps and they're my five steps and you have to do it, but they don't relate to your change or your company culture or whatever. Have you ever seen this too? The consultant takes over the leader's role. So all of a sudden the consultant's presenting to your team, but they're not the leader. You're the leader. Correct. Yes. I I was not in the core team, but it's in the business. It's actually in the merger. You got one company who's extremely good at selling this category this product category. And then you got the other one with another product category. It's two things that are very different and trying to combine to one. And then on the selling side, the consultant, as you said, after a few months, start taking over, which is even worse because it's not even from A or from B. It's actually a consultant who never sold it. In that case, the company was able to pull back and then appoint a leader just for this change. But that's a very good example where the consultant takes over because the A and B cannot agree. The consultant took over. It's very dangerous. It actually impacted the result of the company unfavorably. Absolutely. Does 
what we've done in the past or what you've done in the past on other changes, does that impact what you do on this one? Or is everyone distinct and different and just start from scratch again? Oh, no, it's definitely the former, meaning you have to pick the learnings from the past. You have to, okay? Let's just say it's a reorganization, right? Restructuring. The first one is the toughest. The second one, here's the thing, it will always be tough. But you got to learn from the first one, even the way you speak to the people impacted or the people who are remaining, etc. Those are important. So you learn from those changes and you keep going on, but you never take it as just from scratch again. You get good at it. Maybe it's a bad example about restructuring, but it could be other changes, but you get good at it. And here's the thing, Phil, that I discovered. Everyone is getting good at it. It's not even a competitive advantage. It's a fascinating observation. Yeah. It's almost like if you don't do it, you're actually behind. You're behind the eight ball because everyone is improving. And that's a huge implication, isn't it? For especially with how quickly change happens these days and the multiple changes. It's almost like an internal capability to manage them. Yeah. Like, for example, right now in the context of change, Phil, is my current company is a seller of marketplaces. And literally the median age is they're all millennials and they're amazing with change. They're just amazing. Like everything is digital, just the mindset. I'll give you an example. You know, this is Canada. Hey, if I were to sell to Loblaws, you do a presentation, et cetera, et cetera. You meet, et cetera. That would take you like two months, right? In an e-commerce world, it literally takes 10 minutes because, hey, I know this. Oh, you know, Amazon is interesting with that. And Amazon sent you a text and say, oh, yeah, by the way, just upload your product on this link. And then here's your password. Boom, done. So my point there is the number of changes is a lot, number one. Number two, the speed of change is much, much quicker than before. Much, much quicker. So right now, the reason why I'm sharing this to, to you and to the listeners is literally I was shocked. When I first joined this industry, how fast they are. So my point is change is is everywhere and they're just much faster and they happen frequently. It is fascinating just the realities of commerce and and even for other organizations like governments or not-for-profit, the speed of change. When you're assessing and choosing what type of change support, and as you said, leveraging your lessons learned from the past, is there value in leveraging the people who did the change in the past? Like the, the individual talked about, let's say that person had worked on the last change, do you tend to rely on that person again on the next change because they've got the capability? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And this is not to say you don't want to new people. It's not that at all. It's just there are some specific tasks for a change program that you know, hey, Carlos is really good with this. Hey, let me call Carlos. Is he available? That's super important. Not only because the experience of that particular change, but in my example, Carlos and I, we know each other. You save a lot of time of knowing each other in order to be Batman and Robin to go and, <laughs> and, and do this mission, right? Like so, so that's a big advantage too. And assuming the last change was successful, and then people hear that Carlos is on it again, yes, it's almost a foreshadowing of good results just because of our past experience. That hey, it's probably going to go well this time as well. Exactly. So let's say there's a new change that's going on in your organization. It could be new marketplaces or new customers. And they say, okay, Stephen, it's time to assess what change resources or what support that we need to do it. What's your thought process? Sure. So the example I would share is when I was in Bed Bath, we tried to figure out what do e-commerce companies do? Like, so it's always brick and mortar trying to be e-commerce. 
right? What's interesting for me right now is actually from e-com to brick and mortar. People don't think that, but it's actually most of the e-com company want to be brick and mortar because e-com is always growing, but the level of growth is slowing down, et cetera, et cetera. So at the end of the day, you got to expand to brick and mortar. Okay. So that change in itself, Phil, it's a massive change, both psychologically, behaviorally, and also the things to do. So in that example, for example, in Mexico, we want to get into the brick and mortar. So to answer your question, what do I go through in my mind is, okay, number one, what kind of management support do we need in order to do this? And you go to very detail. Hey, do we have a presentation deck for the brick and mortar company? Answer, no. Why? Because we never had to, right? Okay, let's create one. Do we have the right people? We need people, hire people that actually have experience on brick and mortar, okay? Not e-com. Do we have the right systems? Like when you go to the brick and mortar meetings or we, you go to their stores, do you have on your phone, hey, this is my price list. This could be as simple as that. So anything that we had in the brick and mortar, you take that and you say, I need it in this e-commerce company. And then you go through it and say, these are all the resources I need. And this is how we're going to be successful. Oh, that's great. And how do you assess a timeline to do that transition? Because you talked about hiring people. There's definitely a timeline to get the right and the best talent to do that. How do you make that estimate so that there's enough time to do it well? Sure. So what, the way I do it is I go from when will the outcome be realized? In this case, in this example, the outcome is when do I get the purchase order from the brick and mortar? When does the first sale begin? And so I'm from brick and mortar business. So I know it takes, hey, three months from the time somebody contacted a retailer all the way on average, right? Three months. So I can backtrack and say, hey, if I wanted by, let's say, October, I backtrack it and say, I need this. And then I need the people from there. So I probably need four or five months in total to achieve that first order. The challenge is always not just from a change, is actually the discipline to execute things that the organization is not used to. When I was in Bed Bath, Mexico, we're trying to be e-com and it's just not natural. If you say, hey, I want to change my website to take this picture, move it to here, it could take two days. It's only because it's not part of the DNA yet. Yes. Right? And so you got to take that DNA and plug it in. That's such a staggering change, as you say, from e-commerce to brick and mortar and brick and mortar to e-commerce. What happens if the support is insufficient along the way? So it's month three, you don't have the right people. How do you manage that? So number one, everything is delayed. Everything is delayed, right? Number one. And then you have to look for an alternative. I'll give the real example. This one is from brick and mortar to e-commerce. Right In Mexico, when you iron your clothes, it's called ironing table. But here in Mexico, the slang is actually called a burro. Okay, A burro is an animal that looks like the ironing board. And this is a real example. So many, many products. Okay, Bed Bath has over 20,000 per store. And we were wondering how come nobody's buying ironing board. And the reason was in the website, it's actually called tabla para planchar, which is a direct translation of ironing board. But the customer never looked for that. They don't say table for ironing. They say budo. That's it. Or in my current company, a water heater. No, we call it water heater. And, and then we say calentador de agua. 
which is water heater, but people locally call it boiler. And so if you search boiler, you don't find it. Or if you say buro, you don't find it in Bed Bath. So not enough change support. I literally hired temporarily three target market, which is woman, wife, buy home goods. And they literally sat in the office and we asked them, go ahead, have a good time. Keep searching in our website, whatever you search for as you. And then they keep searching. No, I don't have this. No, I don't have this. No. And then we write it down. And after two weeks, we caught up. So wow. there's a delay, but then you catch up by having a creative idea. What a great way to get back on pace and very creatively as well. Stepping back to the 30,000 foot view on the large changes we've talked about and, and how do you get the right support, the transition, are there any watch outs for the listeners to avoid some of the down spots and go toward the good ones? Yeah, one of my learnings, Phil, is when you go through these programs, let's say when we did Craft Cadbury together, you, you get into the details, right? And then the watch out is sometimes you get in too deep into the details that you cannot see from a higher view. And so my advice to the listeners is get into the details. It's important, but take, I don't know, like literally define it one hour per week or whatever to actually say to yourself, let me not look at the details. Let me look at the total picture. Is it still making sense? In our example, you will remember there's an organizational change. And there's a system change. We were switching to SAP. And then you get so bogged down on exactly the transaction of SAP that you want. And sometimes you forget that, hey, actually what we're trying to do here is just automate something. This transaction A or is it transaction B? And then you spend the whole week supporting one of the teams that's fighting for transaction A or B. And then if you stand back, actually, no, actually, we just want to automate. So pick one, whatever you want, A or B. It should be good. My point is make sure you have time to look at the big picture. That is great advice. Thank you. And I'm just wondering, in the spirit of change on the run, where there's so much change going on, as we talked about, what's the one thing that you would do that would give you 80% of the results and 20% of the time? What's that one thing you'd focus on? Okay, maybe the, this is not a uh, change management answer, Phil, one. <laughs> so for me, stay healthy. So there's a lot of change. There's a lot of late nights. There's a lot of meetings, et cetera. But the key thing that will make it successful is if you're healthy and you can think straight. So it's kind of like when you go on the plane and the mask comes down for oxygen, you got to take care of yourself first. If you're good, if you're healthy, you can think straight, your whole team will be okay. So especially on a change in the run kind of thing. There's so many changes. Make sure you're healthy, you eat well, you get your exercise, whatever, whatever makes you feel healthy, you got to do it. Because for me, the learning is if you're burning out, you actually don't know you're burning out. So the, the key is not to even get close to that one. Spend time with the family, enjoy with the kids, you know, all that kind of thing so that you're super 100% and then you do it and then you take a break. I think that's excellent advice, but it seems on these large changes, the probability of burnout seems to be far higher. Why do you think that's the case? Number one, we're pressured by the timing of the change, right? We always have a deadline in that famous chart of everyone has that has a date on it, et cetera. But I think what helps me is ask yourself first, if this doesn't happen, like this particular date, if this doesn't happen, what really will happen? Really? Is the business going to fall down the next day? Probably not. 
No? So internally, I think personally, if you can understand that, but to answer your question, I think this high stress is because we made it. We did it, actually. We did it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we did it to ourselves, right? So if it has to change, we change it a little bit. Thank you. As we close off the show, is there a final insight or a consideration or a tip you'd like to share with the listeners? Sure. Everyone says this change is always going to happen. It's always going to be there. Actually, it's the changes that makes all these different businesses to, to have this competitive advantage, right? If there's no change, then, you know, that's it, right? So one thing is I'm a very big believer of blue ocean, like blue ocean thinking. So my insight to share is be expert on changes, basically. If you get that one right, you can achieve a lot of the strategic initiatives and a lot of your business's competitive advantage. I'm super happy on what you're doing and how you're helping all your listeners. Oh, thank you, Stephen. And it is a compelling concept of Blue Ocean where you have no competitors because you've changed to the point that you're prominent in the market. There just isn't a competitor to you, which is a fascinating premise of, of what we try to do. Yep. Stephen, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It means the world to me. Thank you so much. And how can people get in contact with you if they want to connect or if they want to send you a note and find out more sure. about what you're doing? Yeah, part of my change is actually I'm learning how to use LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me in LinkedIn. Actually, Phil is an advisor for me on using LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, but you I can pleasure. find me there, uh, Stephen. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Uh, and my last name is S-O-T-T-O, -T -T -O, spelled with double T. But you can message me there and uh, we'll be in contact. Fantastic. We'll put a link into your profile. And good luck with the changes that you're going through. Thank you, Phil. And really congratulations on what you're doing. I'm very proud of you. We do talk about you here in Mexico because <laughs> oh, uh, we do remember your visit. So it's really great. And I'm really happy for you. And great to see you here in Zoom. Saying same to you. Thank you, Stephen. And to the listeners, I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change.